Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Caught offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm excited about this podcast, Andrew. There's there's just so much to get into. Um, and before we do, and, and you know what we're going to hit. We're going to hit Arsenal. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit the title race. We're going to hit the relegation battle. We're going to hit some MLS. We're going to do an interview that I've been dying to do forever with, uh, with a quite prominent football Twitter person who's released a book, mm. more of which anon. But um, I want to start with a Monday morning moral quandary. So I sent you a video from the Norwegian League that a listener sent us. And it's basically a, a brand player is running away with the ball. His pursuer the center back for the opposition team gets kind of gold side, but then pulls his hamstring. And instead of continuing and to try and make something out of a going and goal, the brand defender kicks the ball out and it's now going viral as this great show of sportsmanship thoughts. Hmm. You seem dubious based on <laughs> your I think, handoff to me. First of all, when I saw it first, I thought, oh, yeah, wow. And then I thought, he's not actually in on goal. If anything, he's heading towards the corner flag, right? <sighs> the defender has got goal side of him and then suddenly cramps up. So he would have had to, like, just dribble around him to go get in on goal. Like, it was almost one of those moral moments where you're bang to rights. You have to do the right thing. And the right thing was to kick the ball out. It so, wasn't like... So you think that he, that this was done more out of let me avoid potential embarrassment and look great in the process. Uh, and, and so he went that route. Like this was not based in, oh, oh, he's, he's clearly hurt. I, yeah. It would be wrong for me to score here. Well, the great example of this is Paulo Di Canio against Everton for West Ham when the goalkeeper, Gerard rushes out of his box, hurts himself, is, is stricken on the side of the box, and the ball is lofted in towards the Kenya who's on just inside the penalty area and you're expecting him to volley at home and he catches the ball 
puts it under his arm and points at the stricken Gerard. Now, I'm cynical even about that one because I think he's, he's sizing up the ball and he thinks, actually, this could be quite tough to do first time. I'm just going to catch the ball. Everybody's a winner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing with this one from the Norwegian League that what, I, what you can't tell is, okay, so you're right. He's, he's not necessarily directly in on goal. Well, he no. would be, but, he, but it would be now coming from a difficult angle because he's been pushed out a little bit wider than, than he would have probably liked. Yes. So here's what you don't know, though. Let's say he continues play, yeah. and now he is coming from that difficult angle. The guy's on the ground in front of him. Though. So that, that guy's on the ground. He's gone. He's out of it. What we don't see there, what else was coming? Like if it was, if it was his guy's... If if his teammate, the striker, or whoever was going to be the next player through, yeah, he has no defense there. He can slip it in for the pass, and it's an easy goal. So it might like it may. We can't see just how easy that goal would have been. No, we can't. But it's again. I'm going to choose. It's it's a Monday. I want to start my week off feeling good, the right way. I think right. what he did was was honorable. Uh, I think it was beautiful sportsmanship, and I applaud him for it. I, you know what? I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to side with you because it is a Monday and you know, we just need to get positivity out there. Oh, but if you showed this to me on a Wednesday, oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Bench well, that guy. Yeah. Uh, like you said, what a show we have. Lots of Premier League, a little bit of MLS at the end. This was a huge weekend in MLS, like craziness, <laughs> wild results and yeah, rivalry and- matches, derbies. It was like, it was great stuff. Well, those of you that could have seen it. Or seen oh. all of it, there was oh. problems. <laughs> uh, maybe another goal of the season candidate in MLS this past weekend. A hundred percent so. Yeah, I'm assuming I, we're talking about the same thing. From I mean, a certain we probably derby taking place in the northwestern portion of the United States. Yeah, and uh, a bicycle kick. Yeah, so we'll get to all that. Let's start though in the Premier League because uh, we are we are now really entering the business end of the season where titles are won. And potentially lost, beginning in North London with Arsenal. JJ, I think we could, I think we could excuse it a little bit when Arsenal threw away a two-goal lead against Liverpool because even in a terrible season, it is still kind of Liverpool DNA. It is still Anfield. We've seen it before, but. Now they've gone and done it two weeks in a row, and this time it was against West Ham. And I don't want to hear about oh, but the the, the relegation race, and you know they're going to fight till the end. Mm. They're in the relegation race because they're not very good, Correct. and they're having a terrible season. All right, so it's a, it's a little harder for me to start making excuses this time around. I don't know how else to to portray it. People were saying against Arsenal, for, against Liverpool, some people still wanted to say ah, yeah, but. It didn't look good, but in the end, it is still a point gained for them. It's a tough place to go. How are you going to spin this one? This is now bordering on disastrous. I I would tend to agree with you, and again, it was it was to a it was to a formula. Arsenal start brilliantly, like those two goals. The the um, the first goal was a brilliant goal, absolutely. Uh, Jesus's goal, the way they they link on the edge of the box, they get through. Cut back, great goal. And then the second one, probably better, Martinelli picking out Odegaard on the volley. Superb goals, all within 10 minutes. And then, nothing. Then, it's as if they've got this great prize and they fall into themselves and they allow West Ham back into the game with, I mean, Thomas Partey's piece of elaborateness on 30 minutes where Rice nicks the ball, forces the penalty. By the way, it's it's a penalty, guys. I know he tries to pull. 
pull his legs back, but it's still a penalty. Oh, who, who is, are people saying it wasn't? Well, whatever. This is all tribal. I'm sure Arsenal haven't committed a penalty all season, according to a certain section of the fan base. But it just, it, it didn't have to be this way. And it's, it's following a formula. And I was reading uh, Miguel Delaney this morning and he said, and he made the, the correct point that Arsenal get off to a blistering start. But before West Ham have that, before that crucial moment of the West Ham penalty, before that crucial moment of Bakoya Saka's miss to make them, to put them 3-1 up, the game is going away from them. Um, it might well be said that this is a moment Arsenal will look back on, given that Jared Bourne equalised two minutes later, He's referring to the penalty. Yeah. But the reality was something had already changed. The play was only going one way. Now, and, and this is the key point he makes. The worst had happened. Arsenal now had to show that they could be the best by becoming champions, by digging deep. They didn't do that here. They barely created a chance at all. There was nothing. That should be most worrying of all. I would say that is the thing that makes me, makes me most concerned as a kind of proxy Arsenal fan that I am right now because I want them to win the league in the position they're in. Blah. That would that would make me most concerned because if you look at title challenges or, uh, I mean, it's been mostly title challenges from Liverpool or their title wins, when they, when they hit adversity, when they go behind them thinking of Villa away, Southampton away, over the years, what would they do? They would still come back. They would still create chances. They would mm-hmm. still stay in the fight. Arsenal did not do that. They had one chance where, where Saka was racing down the right-hand side and it ended up with a weak shot straight at Fabianski. Like, Arsenal are not giving you the kind of roll up the sleeves. We've dug ourselves into a hole. Let's get out of it. Yeah. That's before we even get to the fact that you, you've, you've given yourself this 2-0 lead. How are you not able to... Okay, Arteta said they did not look like a side that wanted to get the third or fourth goal and kill this game. And, and maybe that's part of the problem as much as anything. Yeah. So uh, what you're saying is interesting to me, that, that what was most concerning about Arsenal in this game uh, was not necessarily that they threw away a two-goal lead. No. It was that they didn't do anything once they had done that. Because there was a lot of time left. I mean, there was Tons. still you know, 25 minutes or so, I forget exactly, uh, for Arsenal to go on and, and take it back. But, uh, and they but, didn't. There was no, very they, little life shown. Oh, that. And that is my major concern. If anything, it was Mikel Antonio's header should have nestled in the back of the net, and that's 3-2, and Arsenal are looking at zero points. Yeah, that, that That's the concern for me. It's like title races, title challenges, they are at some point going to be about going behind. They're going to be about adversity. And Arsenal just slip away out of those games. Now, they obviously didn't slip completely out of this one. They drew it. They got a point. But... That is really, really concerning. And also, how can you produce sharp, incisive football for the first 10 minutes and then literally it's gone? It's turned off. Yeah, that's a great question uh, because they did. I mean, I thought it was like, honestly, like everyone watching, I kind of thought it was over. Now, the problem is whether or not the Arsenal players themselves thought it was over. And I do wonder if a little bit of that can happen when you've spent all season leading atop the league and you go up two goals against a bad team quickly. I, I, I wonder if a little bit of fart smelling goes on there. Oh, I, we're good. I, that's a great. That's a great one, and I'm not sure where I am on that. I actually think it's the opposite. I think sometimes when you've got something, that's when you have tension. I think if you were walking down the street, Andrew, with twenty bucks in your pocket, it's a different feeling to walking down the street with a Macy's bag with seventy five thousand dollars in your pocket, in your in your bag. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something big. You can see the bigger picture. They're two nil up. They're looking. They're thinking about tables. They're thinking about. 
and, and a tightness comes in. And it's a case of what we have, we hold rather than keep doing the right things. Keep moving the ball, keep uh, discombobulating the West Ham defense like we did. Instead, a tightness comes in, a fear of losing what you have comes in, and that allows the opposition onto you. I think your analogy works better. I get what you're saying. It's a good point. I think that analogy works better before that ball has been kicked off at the start of the game. It's nil-nil. We're playing West Ham. Like to me, that's like then then you could be if they came out tight and West Ham scored early, I think that that applies more. Okay. But like they're they're thinking about what they have to lose, and that's the problem. I think the real analogy is once they take the two goal lead, JJ, it's like they're walking down the street with an, with a team of armed security guards around them. <laughs> but then suddenly, a few of those guys have been picked off, and now they're exposed, and they don't know what to do. Oh God, that, this analogy's <laughs> gone deep. So you are saying they're down the street, and there are snipers, Jared Bowen, etc., in like we'll say like the 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 fire escapes, picking off the security guards. I suppose. And now Arsenal, and now they're just exposed, and they they can't get it. Now they're they're now they're scared. Yeah, they're and, and when and is cold. this Michael Mann film being released? <laughs> what would this be called? I don't know. Um, Maybe we just end this analogy right here. Um, uh, the security men who died. That's not catchy. That's, that's not a good title. Work. I could see that on a on a poster, uh, but not everyone agrees. Not everyone agrees. Martin O'Neill was on BBC Five Live. He said psychologically yesterday would have been a blow to them, but they've shown a fantastic resilience this season. Martin, the table. I mean, okay. All right. We've got some audio of Gary Neville saying something, but going into a bit more detail. He thinks the fact that, that this game went the way it did and it means that there's essentially almost a cup final against City coming up. He thinks that's that's a good idea. Or not a good idea, but it's not it's a place you'd like to be in. Oh, Neville? Neville. Yeah. He said he basically said that it, Sir Alex Ferguson would regularly tell them in a tight title race, we've if we like say they had to go, usually it was against Arsenal or Chelsea or something. Mm. If we've got to go there and win. If I offered you that at the start of the season, you have one game and you can win the title. If you win that game, you'll take it. Sure. But that's presupposing the idea that Arsenal are going to be fall out of this funk of losing leads in the rest of the game. That's. <laughs> yeah. I don't so... know how I feel about that. I personally. I, I felt sad <laughs> this morning. I felt sad for Arsenal fans because hmm. I'm kind of looking at the tea leaves now and the tea leaves are saying city. Well, I'll say this. It's definitely not over. I mean, I do. No, it's not. Boy, over. It's, it's, an, it's a wild thing to see a team leading by four points <laughs> this late in the season and the outlook on them be so bleak. I mean, it's a, a unique situation to but it's a, club, easy... a club that we haven't seen win a title in a really long time. So we're not sure they have the DNA being chased by a club that that trips and falls into titles like it's it's it can only you can only feel this way in a situation like this well i I think it's adam crafton put it this way um he was suggesting this is probably more to do with how great city are um so he said this there will be much made of arsenal's mentality but after that uh there will be much made of Arsenal's mentality after that, but this is still a team well on course for a 90-plus point season. To me, it just says so much more about the brutal order that Manchester City's blend of resources, coaching, and recruitment have created. Like, that's the, that's the fly in the ointment right there. Hey, you can be great. You can have an amazing season that will win titles 
But here's Manchester City. And like Adam says, this is the brutal order of things. You better be perfect. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, in the end, we'll see what the point totals would have needed to be. I mean, that that kind of takes us down this this dangerous road of discussing the conversation of bottling, which is something that's come up over the over the yeah. years that we've done the show with different teams. Uh, Sport Bible, they asked flat out. Uh, they put a poll question up there and asked flat out if this goes down as a bottle job, should Arsenal not win the title? Um, when I, I voted in it to see what the uh, the results were, and it was, yes, it would be a bottle job, 67% to 33%. I... But Gary Lineker responded, he said, uh, he said to that, no. If it uh, if it doesn't happen, it will be it will be because Manchester City are exceptional. Now, uh, I disagree with that. I am a deeply petty person. <laughs> You've come to know that about me over the years. Deeply petty, JJ. Let's go back to 2017. <laughs> I remember it well. Um, <laughs> and Arsenal fans, when Tottenham, uh, what was it, they drew or lost to West Ham late in the season. I think it was uh, a loss, wasn't it? And Arsenal fans were just effing relentless with the bottle job that Spurs did uh, to not win the title that year. But I would say this to that, and we said it then, and we we kind of dismissed it then as being nonsense. But Tottenham didn't lead at all that season. No. <laughs> Chelsea wound up winning. It was an, an incredible Chelsea team that wound up winning the league on 93 points. Like, it was a it was an epic season. Yeah. Um, that was referred to as a bottle job by Arsenal fans to Tottenham fans. I went and Googled well, it, Jay. I, I Googled about to go back and look at some of this. And what, what I found surprised me even more. When I Googled Tottenham 2017 bottle job, what actually wound up coming up in my search was what happened the next year when Spurs were called bottlers again after match week 20 when they lost to Wolves. They weren't even in the lead and the table at that point. Liverpool were. This was the headline on Talk Sport on December 29th, 2018. Biggest bottle jobs in the history of football. Rival fans tear into Tottenham after defeat to Wolves puts Liverpool in charge of the Premier League title race. That was in December, and Tottenham weren't even in the in front of the table. So well now, well, okay. So there's two things happening here. First of all, there's your how shall we put it, pain. Uh your your scar tissue from being called a bottle job before. There's also the why are we making excuses for Arsenal? Is what um, I want to know. We're not when this, that I... is not afforded to other teams. Arsenal have they have led this table wire to wire this season. I mean, and I'm 30... sorry, they're not playing Manchester City every week. This is happening against West Ham with a two goal lead after blowing a two goal lead the previous week. Uh, there's also what are we so afraid of here? There's also a thing of the the vernacular of football being distorted by the internet. Not everything is a bottle job. Liverpool 13-14, bottle job, right? Arsenal this season, I, I definitely think at this point, although it's everything's still in the balance, if they don't win it, I think that you, you can... Le- there's a legitimate case to call it a bottle job. Um, Newcastle, 95-96, bottle job. Mm. Those are bottle jobs. There's no question about it. Um, but we use these words willy-nilly. Like, there's so many not just people in this country, but just generally around the world have been introduced to the word S-housery. And now they use it for everything, completely out of the context uh, in which it was formed. So I do think there's a large part of that. And also talk sport headlines. They are always going to want to engage and enrage. And, and, and that's how they do. That's how they do content. Well, they reeled me right in five years later. They got, they got, they're still reeling in the, <laughs> that, that rusty old hook 
caught Andrew right. Oh yeah, the his... fisherman he he died years ago, but the <laughs> line is still there catching fish. The fisherman's on the bank with like cobwebs and spiders crawling out of his skull. <laughs> but yeah, that's how that works. So I I do think there's a kind of a, a problem with the vernacular there. Like everything's not a bottle job. But this, but I think this is. The... I I agree with you. I think you can frame it as such. But again, the only reason we can't call it a bottle job yet is because it has not. Um, when City take over and go into the lead in the league and and uh, are basically champions elect, then we can crown it. Uh, well, that's the thing. Like having said all of this, JJ Arsenal play Southampton on Friday night. That's huge. I mean, that really like I, I can't think of something more well suited for what they need right now. First off, playing Friday night, they get to get back at it rather quickly a day earlier so they can kind of get these last couple of weeks out of their head sooner. They're playing a team that is just looking more and more resigned to their fate. Mm. They get that lead back up to seven points, even with two matches at hand. I think there's something about seeing a gap there of seven that maybe will put some minds at ease. Um, and by the way, it will still be seven until Manchester city and Arsenal play each other because city have the FA cup semifinal this weekend. So they don't play uh, April 26th is city's next premier league match. Um, so I just, I think that psychologically that might be helpful to Arsenal. So like this, we're having this conversation now just because of what the last couple of results have been for Arsenal, but it could be, it could all be a very moot point very quickly. If Arsenal win that game and then beat city, then the conversation, then this is all for nothing. This conversation was, was stupid, quite frankly. And Martin O'Neill's comments about city being able to show resiliency, I think will have won the day. Now, you mentioned before, Gary Neville, Roy Keane, and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank had a, a conversation kind of about this um, on Sky Sports where they asked the question if fin- finishing second would be a disaster for Arsenal. Gary Neville said it would not be a disaster. That's, that is still a good thing and basically kind of the Gary Lineker idea of it's City. What, what can you do? Uh, Roy Keane, JJ, not of like mind. No. <laughs> he said, um, if they don't go on to win the league, it's a huge disappointment. Arsenal have no distractions. They look tired at the end of West Ham. They were hanging in there against Liverpool last week. That's not a great message to say they're up for the fight and they're enjoying it. It's obviously playing tricks in their head. Uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank agreeing with Roy Keane. He said they were seven points clear. It would be a disaster. You've been leading the whole way to yeah. give it away. The last three matches, matches, it's a disaster. It doesn't matter if you're not thinking to be number one at the beginning of the season. You've been number one the whole way. Uh, he said, we don't know what's going to happen next year. Everyone's going to get stronger. They might not be in this position again. It's not a terrible season, but they would have given it away. Um, I come down on that side. Like I just think this idea of, oh, if you told them they were in this position at the beginning of the season, they would have gladly taken it, even if it meant finishing second. But like, I just, I can't, I can't buy that, JJ. Like I've always said, I, I've used this line before on this show, that circumstances change expectations. And like here, they're here now. They've been leading the whole season. Events. We can't, we can't operate off of our preseason expectations. That's a false premise. Our preseason expectations were wrong. This Arsenal team is a great team. They've proven that at this point. I totally so they, agree. So if I, they go and throw it away now, I think it's I think it's it's on them. I totally agree with you. I, I Henry Winter just to, for for balance. He said Arsenal aren't bottling it. That's naive, disrespectful. Just paying for indi- individual mistakes. Games titles defined by details. Nobody preseason expected young gunners in title contention. I went City, loads did. AFC ahead of schedule. Now there's two dangerous things going on here. The first thing that you said is that you can't when when things start to happen, when things start to emerge, um, you can't go back to what you thought before and say, oh well, I, I, this is a success. 
it, it it's right there in front of them. It's right there. So anything else is failure. It is just failure when you put yourself into that position. Like, are we forgetting how the passage of time works? Events and details happen, and that changes where we are at. You know, you just can't go back to August. AFC ahead of schedule. That's, that is such dangerous thinking, I cannot even tell you. There is no guarantee that next season Arsenal will march out, lead the league, and win it again, or even be in a title race. There isn't. Right. We we know what's brewing up in the in the northeast of England um, with the with the Saudi Arabian money. There's a, I believe there's a real chance that teams like Arsenal, Tottenham, even Liverpool could be bumped out of. They'll always be there thereabouts, but could be significantly hampered for the next few years in terms of title races. Yeah. So schedule. There's no schedule. There's winning time. That's what there is. The, the, look at the Buffalo Bills. I know they were a strong, dominant team. They had gr- good running backs. They had a good quarterback. I know they were a good side in the NFL. But there's no Buffalo Bills fan who was saying, well, in 1986, I couldn't have seen this happening. And now it's happening and we've come so close. You know, that's just a bonus for me. No, it's there in front of you. Right. It's winning time. Go and win it. And Arsenal aren't exempt from those rules. Liverpool weren't exempt in 13-14. Nobody start, thought at the start of 13-14, that Liverpool would mount a serious title challenge. Nobody did. And they went on and they, especially with the Suarez suspension at the start of the season, but they went on and they did that. Right. And the, I, pre, the preseason expectations doesn't matter when you're up 3-0 against Crystal Palace. It's, it's such, it, it's, um, it's nonsense. It's, uh, it's trying to rewrite the narrative, tr- trying to cr- rewrite history, and um, it doesn't work like that. And I don't think any serious Arsenal fans, um, certainly not, there's plenty of our listeners won't feel that way either. Yeah. Um, now again, like it, it could still be a good season for them, but when you're this close to the title and you have this kind no. of lead this late, like it's, it's that, that becomes the goal. Like I tell you, I, I mission has back, changed. I go back and I watch the 13, 14 season highlights all the time because there were so many enjoyable games. The running was great. And then I stop when we get to the Chelsea game. Yeah. Cause there's, cause that's where it all falls apart. Why so, do, why do that to yourself? You don't I'm, need that. I'm a freaking weird but you, but you won't watch it though. Like no, I, I get so far and I can't, I can't do it. Well, like um, Chris Stanbull is harder. Let me tell you, yeah, that was way harder. But but even then, like I I'm at pains to point out to people that didn't really matter because once we lost to Chelsea, the title was back in City's grasp. We only need oh, anyway. What am I doing? Oh my god! Let's what am relive I doing? all of our most painful. Let's talk about the Eagles Chiefs Super Bowl. I want to really dive into the yeah. Let's talk about the time the girl you really fancied you, you caught him making out with someone else. Let's talk yeah. about all those things. <laughs> but like I said, Arsenal. I mean, it's still it's still there to be won. They have it in front of it's them. Right they, there. They, they play Manchester City. They like the meaning of that game has now gone up several notches from where maybe that would have been a few weeks ago, but they can still do it. They are. I really believe that this is a great team. Um, And we'll just, this will all play itself out. uh, Human beings are, are creatures of habit. They're habit forming uh, organisms. And the problem with habit forming is that in football, it does seem to become like almost a contagion. They can't do this again. Like they can't be scintillating for 10 minutes and then switch off like they do. They, yeah. Not switch off even, just allow other teams into it. They have to be more rootless. And yeah. um, and that's and, the problem for me. And having said all of that, I, I, know, I know games don't come down to one singular moment, but Bukayo Saka steps up to the spot with a chance to go up 3-1. And it's, he doesn't even hit the target. Yeah. So and look, and, and again, he's a brilliant player. He'd be on my team of the season. That probably won't change. Um, 
but he's putting together a little bit of a resume of missed, big missed penalties and big well, moments. Man, we should again. We should always. We should kind of factor in the fact that he did come back and he did. He has scored penalties this season. Sure. And scored them with a plum. He has looked good. Maybe this is fatigue. The fatigue Roy Keane talked about. The tiredness that Arsenal uh, appear to have, or maybe even more fundamental. None of these guys have been in a title race before, and there is this pressure. It's right there. Here you go. Three one. I don't think West Ham are coming back. Well, I don't maybe. think so either. I don't know either. That, that I mean, the the game state was so. very much Arsenal on the on on their kind of defending more than anything. But look, um, but but that's exactly the point, though. Almost is like it makes that moment even more deflating for West Ham. Yeah, it takes the wind out of their sails completely. Like we put in all this hard work, we're playing well, and, uh, and we're down another goal. It's we just should like, probably uh, we should probably mention that this is such a huge result for West Ham and David Moyes. Mm-hmm. Um. Like for me, Moyes, I I honestly don't think that West Ham wanted to pull the trigger on him. A, because of the body of work he's built up in the second period. But more so than that, they couldn't identify someone who could come in and be guaranteed to steady that ship. And so Moyes has been hanging on. It's been week to week. And you feel like at some point they're going to get rid of him, but they haven't. And uh, this point could, come the end of the season, be so crucial in West Ham staying afloat. Huge point. Because it now gives them a four-point cushion. Um over the relegation places. Uh, so it's not just like that couldn't just swing in one week. Like now it's at least a win and a loss. And then something else would have to happen the following week. Plus yeah. their goal difference is in a solid spot. So uh, that's their 15. It's obviously still going to be terrifying for them. The, the remainder of the season, there's a lot of games to go where this could still swing any number of ways, but um, that felt that point felt really, really important for them. Um, and Certainly. yeah, give them credit. Like like we said, we're talking so much about Arsenal, but yeah, I mean, Jared Bowen, what a finish. Again, the defending from Arsenal, both Crap. on the penalty and on the Bowen goal. I mean, oh. just like guys just kind of oh. shutting off at the at the worst possible moments. Um, we, sh- we should make a note, uh, and it was noted to me by a Tottenham fan yesterday, uh, the proprietor of the Black Horse in Brooklyn, who was just absolutely frightened at the thought of Arsenal winning a title. Uh, he made the point that Saliba being out infinitely weakens that defense and and it's maybe maybe it's a factor that people aren't maybe not discussing enough yeah that's that is true he's had a really good season uh so yeah so this title race it remains uh very much up in the air and it's going to be pretty thrilling i think all the way through the remainder of the season um so and certainly that game on april 26th oh boy i think we'll be doing a pod that night i would would probably block out some time on uh, that evening i think we can make some time uh, let's see a few other things from over the weekend that we wanted to get to before we get to your interview. Um, Aston Villa, Aston Villa three nil over Newcastle. JJ, was it you that tweeted uh, what a job Unai Emery is doing? Yeah, and I love it because first of all, the turnaround has been so good. Second of all, the way and I think I think you've got that f- same feeling I do. The way he left Arsenal felt wrong. This was a very accomplished manager who'd become something of a laughing stock when he left Arsenal. You know, comments, the British media and British social media, you know, his his whole good evening uh, thing, which, I mean, I found it funny and cute for a while until you're losing games and then it becomes kind of nasty and xenophobic. Um, and he's he seems like a genuinely good guy. He's got a haul of trophies in European football that any manager would be proud of. And he's come in and he's implemented something really well. He's getting the best out of Ollie Watkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was good analysis on NBC of the runs Ollie Watkins is making right now. I, I mean, there is another point to be made that there's managers who have absolutely squandered bucket loads of cash at Villa. 
I mean, Villa should be better than they are. Maybe they are where they are right now, but they weren't anywhere close under the previous administrations. And so it's good to see uh, Unai Emery come in and, and do that job. And I think he's a genuinely nice guy. And you could see the frustration on Eddie Howe's face at the end of the game. Um, he was just deflated by that um, because it was a reminder of probably how far um, Newcastle have yet to come and, and how good a coach uh, Unai Emery is in turning Villa around. Yeah, uh, they're six, six back of fourth. Amazing. Two wins, put it that way. Yeah. Um, they, it, like you said, <laughs> there is talent there. So, you know, I guess this was always possible. I don't know if it really felt that no, way to me. Was, but, I think it but was the possible. fact that it's manifesting itself now in this way, in such a short period of time that this turnaround has occurred, I think it's, I did not, I don't know. I, I like Villa. I did not see this coming, though. I didn't either. And I'm, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to see it as well because um, uh, you know not to slip into Sky Sports Saturday pundit mode, but Villa such a big club, such a big club, great history, great fans, great stadium. You love to see them right at the top competing in it. In it, that's important to include that at the end there. Yes. Um, so yes, Villa just three back of Tottenham, also for fifth, which would get them a Europa League spot as well. So just. Uh, incredible wave that they're riding. Let's talk about Tottenham really quickly. Please, quickly. Um, Another hilariously bad loss. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, People don't, they they can, (laughs) I get the, and it's nice, I guess I appreciate it, the tweets after this happens of, Somebody check on at a gunling. (laughs) Is that a gunling okay? But that's concern trolling. That's not actual concern. No, it's not real concern. They could give an S. Um, they, they want me to be in a horrible place. I get it. Um, but like, look, I, I told all of you every season, there's a version, the Tottenham version of me enters the season. And at some point during that season, that version of me dies. Uh, I died back after the Wolves game. <laughs> a version of you dies. You're right? so dramatic. You're not John Connor. <laughs> I died after the Wolves lost that the Sheffield United FA cup had me furious, the squad that they played, then the Wolves game happened that they went and lost anyway after keep trying to keep the squad fresh in an FA Cup game. That was it. And then if there was a part of me that was trying to get out a last gasp, then they go out and don't even try to win against AC Milan with a style of play that is purely defensive, needing a goal in the second leg. So, like, it's over. It's over for me. Now, I know, like, my hopes of top four and all that, they still exist. I'm still watching every game. I know Tottenham Stellini referred to every week as a cup final. Yeah, Like, yes, but it's hard I can't keep repeating the same rage and fury after all of these games. Now, look, this is this was obviously uniquely frustrating because Tottenham took a lead. They're playing a bad team. It's at home, um, and the way that like that second half played out, they're like they're ultimately my takeaway with all of this is how are they fifth? Like I've 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 rooted for many Tottenham teams over the years that have finished fifth, and the way I felt about those teams is nothing like this. I feel like I'm watching a team that's 14th. Like, that's how I feel going into these games and watching them play. Like, I've seen to- AVB, what was it? They they had a team that finished fifth, that like, in the Bale season, that, like, I enjoyed. Like, Martin Yol, I think there was a, a couple fifth-place finishes in there that were fun. Like, Robbie Keane, Aaron Lennon. Like, this isn't fun. <laughs> and I don't think it's just because my 
like my expectation has changed over the years that I expect more from them. I don't even think that it's that like, yes, they did come into the season with all the money they spent with Conte as manager, like thinking that a title wasn't necessarily out of the, the realm of possibility, but I don't even think it's, I think it's just watching this team play and just like the frustration of their style and their, the ease with which they give goals away. Like it's, there's, I don't know. I can't, I don't know how they're fifth. It doesn't make sense. Um, I guess there's they are still in the race for top four, and that will keep me, of course, engaged. But this is this just feels like one of those seasons that they you just need it to end, just end, <laughs> and let's move on. Yeah, I mean, I, and we should move on because, in fairness, it's been it's been some kind of like torture for you to try and talk about Tottenham over the last few weeks, and and people enjoy have I've seen it on social media enjoyed your your forthright analysis. I just. I was half watching the game. My girlfriend, who's a big Tottenham supporter, she's in the kitchen with it on. So she's got it on the iPad. I've got it on the telly. Mm. And obviously the telly is ahead. And I know it's ahead. And I watch, I watch Hoiberg have his ankles broken on, that, on the last goal. Yep. Where you're like, move, shuffle your feet, man. You can't be turned that easily. It's too easy. And, uh, and the ball goes into the net. And I was like, wait for it, wait for it. And all I could hear was, oh, Essing F. <laughs> Essing F. Yeah. The other way around. Yeah. Wow. Essing F. <laughs> I've never heard that. I know. No, it's actually, if you say it, and, and folks do say it, but if you've got kids in the car, don't. But Essing F is, oh, oh. It's, it, it, it is just because it's the inversion and you don't hear it a lot, it carries more weight. You're right. You're it right. Um, um, it should be said, this was unbelievable for Bournemouth. Yeah. It, I mean, they are. They've had such a few weeks. Uh, they had the, the the win over Fulham. They had the, um, like, I mean, we should really be saying uh, Gary O'Neill. What a job Gary O'Neill is doing down there. Um, but they're they're flying. Uh, I say flying. They looks like yeah, they're I mean, going to keep themselves. Um, I mean, they're 14th. Six-point cushion. That is very nice. That's a sweet cushion to have right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just... Above all the other ne'er do wells, <laughs> like like Leicester, look, oh Leicester and Forest in absolute dire straits. Everton too leads with that two point cushion, but a game less played. So I mean, leads leads against Liverpool, which is happening today. I mean, if 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 Leeds were to extract some blood out of that stone of a fixture and get a get a result, that'd be huge too. And yeah, yeah, but for Bournemouth to even like show the courage at the end of that because they concede the goal to Denjuma late to tie it, and yeah. then it feels like okay, Tottenham st- like there is still time here, um, and then a, a guy who is who's going to lose the the fans quickly. Richarlison gets a free header <laughs> in the ninety fourth minute, a free header six yards from goal, puts it wide, and then you're thinking, okay, Bournemouth just. Just see this out. Just like put eleven men, ten men at the back, and just like just see this out. But they go for it, and they wind up getting one with one of the last kicks of the ball. It was... Yeah, you have to say Bournemouth have a goal, don't they? Yeah, and and that's always at... kind of been like when thinking back to Eddie Howe, that's sort of been their DNA. Yeah, I, I, but it seems as if they're like, look, there's a good chance at at some point in the season they were like, there's a good chance we're going down here. The football we did played under Scott Parker was kind of a bit more con- a, a concerned level of football and Parker was complaining about not having the sign-ins and Gary O'Neill's come in and said, I'm, I, 
I'm expected to go down here. Let's just go for it. And it's worked out. Billing, Christie, Solanke, very good. I mean, they do have sneakily a very experienced uh, midfielder who is who's quality in Jefferson Lerman in the middle of the park too. We shouldn't forget that. I mean, Tottenham could do with a Jefferson Lerman, but yeah, good result. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, seeing where Charleston of all guys missed that opportunity with, and then like the crowd is like, they're booing Davidson Sanchez. I'm just like, end the season. Really? Please. Like, is that, so he's going to be the face of this, a guy who like, doesn't really play very often. Who's out there as an injury substitution. Like, come on guys. Like, I don't know. It's, like, yes, you summed it up nicely there. Just end the season. Um, another team that would love nothing more than for this season to just end immediately. They could, If they could snap their fingers, they'd do it. Although they might wait until after this Tuesday to officially do that. But Chelsea, JJ, they lose again as they continue to sleep their sleepwalk their way through the remainder of the, the Premier League season. I mean, let's be frank about it. Brighton are a better side than Chelsea right now. Yes. That's yes. just a fact. That's a fact. Um, the same way I feel about Tottenham, where I'm like, how are they fifth? I watch Brighton. I'm like, how are they seventh? Like that <laughs> team should. That's a top four team. The way they play. Uh, yeah. Um, now you've you've written in the notes. Lampard will probably play the role of punching bag. Allow me, and, and you've said, you know, problems exist well beyond the manager. Totally agree with that. Haphazard uh, creation of a bloated squad. Um, the only thing I will say, the manager who couldn't figure out how to get anything out of. <laughs> a selection of strikers at Chelsea is now the manager who's trying to figure out how to get a note out of a selection of strikers at Chelsea. There's a little bit of uh, history repeating here. There was a very good stat on football daily today that uh, was tweeted. Chelsea expected goals. Um, So last uh, totals in the last three games under both Potter and Lampard. So Lampard's first three Potter's last three Uh, Graham Potter, 6.1. Frank Lampard, 2.33. So he's not solving anything here with this team. If anything, they're finding it harder to create chances, harder to do anything. Um, I don't know how much more we can say about Chelsea, except this has been, uh, to quote uh, Elizabeth II, who is now dead, mm-hmm. in Annis Horribilis. Uh JJ, if you want to talk about history repeating with regards to Frank Lampard, the the real stat that matters is this one. Dating back to his time at Everton, he has won one of his last 17 matches. Oh my God. That's the history that's repeating. Loss, 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 oh, loss, 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 loss. But like, uh, again, it's amazing how you'll defend your heroes. Chelsea supporters onto me when he got the job before ball had been kicked. He'll put a smile back on the fans' faces. No, he won't. Hmm. No, he won't. You'll continue to lose. And if you want to think about... Frank Lampard uh, and and be misty-eyed about some of the great performances he had for Chelsea, and he was a great player. That's fine, but right now he is not the solution to anything. Oh, he's a legend. Yeah, he's one of the great players that this league has seen, and that doesn't change. Um, so yeah, continue to love him. No one's telling you not to. But but don't as, use as far it as, as a reason to justify him being manager. No, no, no. I agree with that. Now Matt Law, JJ, uh, reporting in the Telegraph that Todd Bowley spoke to the team in the dressing room. Oh no! Let them have it. Oh no! No. Referred to no. their form as embarrassing. Uh, said the game against Real Madrid, is, uh, Real Madrid, is a chance to keep their season alive. Um, oh, now God, you could no. see you could see this coming because during the game against Brighton from the from the owners box, he's being berated by fans, and it looked you know the, the venom has, bad. The venom has turned. Uh, maybe before. I mean, I don't think they've loved him at any point. Oh, they have. Yep, they had a banner of him at the uh, Matthew no, Harding end. Yeah. All right, that's true. But but now that I, I guess maybe it speaks a little bit to what you're saying about how well we don't want to blame Frank. Uh, so this is this is a natural place to go. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, he it, was de facto director of football for what? Four or five months. Well, we, so it, he it, got it, rid of all the brains. He came in, Granovskaya, gone. Uh, Petr Cech, gone. Like, it's not like, and, he's, and he thought he could do this. And he just heard names and bought players. So that, I wonder if, a couple things here. I wonder if part of his reason for choosing this moment to go into the dressing room afterwards to kind of speak to the team. No, oh, no. If maybe the fact that he was being berated by fans, like maybe he, he blew a gasket and needed to let off steam to, to these guys. And let Can them... you, how would that sound? How would that look? I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be scared. Would you I, he be doesn't. Scared? I mean, do you, I don't know that he screamed at them. He might have spoken these things. Like it might just because he was angry. He may not be a screamer or yeller. He might have. Well, just guys, said, we're um, embarrassing. Well, and, guys, we're we're quite a bit away from our key deliverables here. Um, I want to talk to you about performance, and um, you know, we've got some, we've got some things we want to run up the flagpole. See who salutes. Um, we're going to blue sky a lot of ideas, but we need buy in from you. Buy into us output from you and that's what we need i've got a chart here graham can, can we get the chart graham the chart thanks so the chart here is basically what i did with the dodgers versus what i'll do with chelsea uh you know long-term contracts uh, a lot of um a lot of commercial push but we're going to have some churn guys and things are going to go wrong and right now they're going wrong so you know try and f- play better hey peter what's happening um you know, I wonder too if his disappointment here is compounded by the fact that so he comes in as as owner of this club, and knowing what the recent history of this club is, i.e., Abramovich, it's to spend money and and do so successfully. That you know, spending a lot of money for Chelsea equaled a lot of success over this generation of, of football there. Um, so he probably thought if I come in and spend, they'll love me. It'll show them I'm not just some American who's come over here to try to make money out of this thing, that I do care, that I want to win. So he went and did that, did it in a way that was unprecedented. And so like, I'm sure the fact that now the venom is turned against him, it probably hurts him even more because he thought he was doing the right things to win these people over. They'll, if this goes wrong, they'll blame someone else. They'll blame the manager. They'll blame these players who are these high-priced guys that I that I got here to win. But what he's not understanding is that's not how this all works. No. Like, A, when you're losing, it all like the blame will always go to the top. You have to understand that. And B, this is not just some like random assortment of talented names that can be thrown into one group and you win. Like it's just he's learning the hard way that this is not how that works. And I don't know how quickly or easily they'll be able to dig themselves out of this. Now, they they can't get the managerial appointment wrong because like these players, some of them will go. But for the most part, a lot of these guys that he's brought in and expected to fit all these pieces of this puzzle together, they're not going anywhere. They're not, he's not going to take a loss on all these giant names. And so um, the manager has to be right. The manager has to be a plan for has to have a plan for these players. Like, I don't want to hear some new manager come in and start making excuses of, oh, well, these aren't my guys. I need a couple transfer windows. No, if you come here and take this job, you have to know this is what you're being given. So have a plan for this group. And that's not easy. But I'm sure it's, it's I do think that this is probably eating at bully. Like, I don't think oh, that yeah. he's just some guy who just like, ah, well, whatever I'm making money. Like the way people think that the Glazers think at Manchester United. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's the case here. I think that this is probably really bothering him, um, but that doesn't make it okay. And if you're a Chelsea fan, I don't know if you take any solace in that. He better care. He's the owner of the club. He better care. Uh, and then finally, JJ, um, 
bad loss for Everton against a Fulham side that that had been reeling themselves of late. Yeah. And you just, I mean, the bleakness for Everton is, it's getting more and more real every week. And I know we've said that for a couple of years now, but but I watched this one, um, and it was dire in the second half from Everton. Now they do have injuries in midfield to Corey at the back, Seamus Coleman, but. What was a fairly exciting end-to-end game in the first half turned to a dominant second half from Fulham, who were looking to get out of a, like you said, a four-game losing streak. Uh, Greg O'Keefe and the Athletic made the point that Everton have got to get back to basics, to the back to the basics of Dutch football, defending, being resolute. But uh, the more interesting point he made: they can't rely on emotion and external stimuli like the fans, the supporters, to get results. The right. players have to start making things happen. And the other scarier point he made was about the goals. Like, Everton's goals now are outliers, like long-range efforts, like we'll say um, Dwight McNeil's equaliser on Saturday. <clears throat> that was, that's not a, that's not a high XG goal, you know? It's, 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 I mean, it's a great goal, but they're looking for these kind of spectacular goals to make things happen. Where are the goals going to come from? Dominic Calvert-Lewin, how many times do you have to watch him in the stands, like, waving? And there's, like, this mystery around what's his injury situation. When's he going to be back? Um, Neil Mopé not working out. I, they are in such bother, it's unbelievable. And and Dice, Dice maybe, as Greg points out, has to move away from 4-4-2. Um, but Silva, first half, close game, end-to-end. Everton had a lot of touches in, in, in the Fulham box. Whatever tweak Silva made at halftime, Everton had like one touch after 20 minutes of the second half in the Fulham box. They were completely dominated. And if I'm an Everton fan... Um, once again, I'm looking out my window and I realized I have moved to the abyss. My mail is being forwarded to the abyss. And they still have a chance. I, I mean, they're, they're 17th right now. They're tied on points with Nottingham Forest for, uh, for a relegation spot, but they're ahead on goal difference. Um, it's not over. Like those are all bad teams down there. And, you know, so they can still see their way out of this. But it will be it will be hard. They're I mean they're fortunate that there's a there's a lot of bad teams this year. Yeah. Uh, Leicester City losing again um, to Manchester City. No shock there. But um, Forest losing to United. No shock there. But yeah. like that's that's the way it is. Can I just uh, say one thing before we get to the break and then um, uh, my interview? Uh, Keller Navis, uh, Diego Dallo. Um, those were the names that came out of the Forest game from the City ground yesterday. Navis was unbelievable. This could have been ten nil. And Navis pulled off some of the best saves you'll see. And Diego Dalla scored, I, I think, in terms of a move, one of the best goals United have scored since Ten Hag took over. Like a really good, incisive move. He's on the end of it, and he slots one home. Um, yeah. It was a good day for Anthony as well, a player who some of I the ire, ire of the fans was starting to turn on. They spent a lot of money. There was a lot of promise there, and he had not been delivering on it. But his he, balls, this was a really good weekend for him. His ball for Dalla was sumptuous. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll continue a little bit of that Manchester United conversation, JJ. Uh, you did an interview. Um, I did. I did an interview with uh, you. Most people on Twitter in America will know him as um, at Bearded Genius. He's a football, football man, football writer, football podcaster, uh, social media guy, Nordin Chowdhury. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to him about his book, Inshallah United, A Story of Faith and Football, which is out right now, which I've been reading. And is, it's, it's fascinating. Um, his parents came from Pakistan. Uh, they settled in Manchester, and it's the story of how he grew up becoming a Manchester United supporter um, uh, and this Muslim background that he has. And I don't know, if someone told me there's a Muslim in Manchester who loves football and adores the game, you have so much in common with him, I'd maybe think twice, but it just shows the universe, 
the universal language of football and how it just brings people together. And it's very funny and very, very poignant in parts too. So um, I'm looking forward to talking to Nas about the book. Yeah, we'll go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll listen to that. And uh, we'll get a couple MLS thoughts in before the end of the pod as well. More Caught Offside still to come. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, um, as I mentioned, Andrew, I spoke uh, last week with uh, Nordin Chowdhury at Bearded Genius on Twitter uh, about his new book, uh, Inshallah United, Story of Faith and Football. And um, I wanted to ask him, first off, like, why write a book when you're only in your early 40s? And, uh, and uh, yeah, the conversation we had was really, really interesting. And just amazing how somebody from no football background can suddenly be obsessed with the game we all love. Nas, welcome to the show. Great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, you are not an old man. Uh, <laughs> I feel like old men write books. Why now are you writing a book? Uh, well, well, the honest answer is uh, because I was asked to, and th- th- there was like a, there was like a. Do you know, like with football transfers, there's you need to be wooed. Yes, and 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 and, and there's a bit of a dance where like you you kind of like uh, oh I'm flattered to be a. Uh, be approached but like uh it was kind of like that where there was there was probably a six month period where i was between me initially being approached and me kind of finally agreeing to do it because because it took that long for me to be convinced to actually write it because um although like the the thing is it's it's incredibly it's it's incredibly flattering to be asked to write a book especially about yourself but um, the issue I had was I, I was only ever going to do it if I thought it was worthwhile. And initially I couldn't see the point of me writing a book because I thought like, who would be interested in that? Like uh, it's, it's not as a, it's not as if I'm a famous person who's done, uh, who's had these massive achievements. It's not as if I've got these massive plot points of like, I saved a kid in a river or <laughs> I did this or I did that, or I escaped a war torn sort of like situation. It, it was, um, I didn't see enough, uh, interest uh that i could bring to it that that anyone else could be bothered reading it reading it but um like bless bless the publishers and like their perseverance like they like there's there was an individual in particular called in particular called john DePayer, who 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 kept on saying like no it's a story worth telling and and as much as as much as it's a story worth telling in terms of who you are and your different aspects of your, of your identity um he 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 was he was kind of saying it's 
it's um it's the way you can tell the story and like the sense of humor and the tone and everything that that he felt that people could, could relate to so so yeah so so eventually i uh i i agreed to do it and then it, and then it was just a case of uh going about how to write it yeah um we'll get to the intersection of of football and and faith in a minute although it's 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 kind of blended all the way all the way through the book um do you do you ever think about your life uh as a Manchester City fan, because for you, it was a choice. It wasn't your dad uh, being a Pakistani immigrant. He had no no connection yeah. to football in the country whatsoever. So you're in Manchester. I, you've got red, you've got blue, you've got a friend who's a blue, you've got a friend who's a red. Like, do you, do you ever think how you would be different as a person if you'd gone down the gone down the main road? Oh, completely. And, uh, and, and, it, and it's so much of it is an accident of circumstance and, and people you interact with and, and people that you um, influence your life. Um, and that's even more acute as, as a second generation immigrant, because even where you, even where you're born and brought up is such an accident yes. of, um, of, of life that, that you've got no real say over because like my, my, my family could easily have left Pakistan and settled in, Toronto or or uh, Brixton or Liverpool or Luton or anywhere, um, and it, they just happen to settle in Manchester. And as well as football, like all other sort of aspects of my life, um, in terms of my music taste, my politics, um, my outlook on life, could have been radically different. Um, and and again, like in terms of. That thing about what team you support, um, I think for a lot of people, it's it's inherited. You, uh, your your parents, um, whether it's your mum or dad, um, are, are, are football fans, and 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 as soon as you're essentially born, you're given the baby grow, you you inherit that, and you go to your first game with your with your parents, and and there's that whole sort of. Um, coming of age in terms of football but like yeah um, my my parents both came over from Pakistan had no interest in football um and no real sort of passionate interest in sport apart from perhaps cricket um right so so yeah it was it was always going to be my environment that dictated uh how much I got into football and, and then who I supported and, and like you say um at the beginning of the book um it was very much at primary school uh Two friends. One was a City fan, and one was a United fan. And once I got into football, and and that was after because because when you're a kid, um, well, certainly for me, like it was always it was always about playing football. I was just football mad in terms of any spare minute, just playing football, even if it was like a ten minute break or or outside somebody's house waiting for them. Um, I'd just be kicking a ball or whatever. And then when it came to like choosing a team and and my friends realising that I didn't really support a team, then it was a case of like, who are you going to support? And um, again, it, there was nothing about glory supporting or a case of, oh, United are, are better than City or vice versa. It was it was purely because um, the the United fan just just loved football more. He was more passionate, more excited about United and, and uh loved it more whereas the my city mate uh was a city fan but wasn't as obsessed and and i was just attracted to that sort of passion so that's how it came to be but completely and the funny thing is i don't know if you if you find this as well is i think there's a there's a kind of nobility and there's a kind of uh 
um, you you kind of get brownie points for supporting the less fashionable team. Definitely. So, so it would almost have been cooler to support City because, especially at that time, they were they weren't the they weren't as glamorous as United. Both City and United were weren't doing get great at that time, but um, obviously uh, United had historically had more fans. But like City, City were always the slightly cooler team to support simply because it's never as cool to support to support the mainstream choice. Uh, what was in, in in getting into football was 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 a part of that that you were aware maybe of your difference of your brownness or was it just obsession with football? I think I think when you when you're going through your formative years, um, there's a well, it, well, there's a strange paradox to to being of that age of where you're no longer a, a kid, but you're not an adult, and you're just sort of coming into being a teenager and finding yourself and finding out who you are and and coming to terms with the different parts of your identity and and, and there's there's always that first of all the, 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 there's a sense of you want to be an individual so you desperately try and sort of show that yeah especially compared to your family and th- that's got all sorts of roots in sort of rebellion and just uh finding your own, finding your own way but then the paradox is where you also as well as wanting to be a a, a complete individual you also want to belong to something so that's why um fashion dictates that football dictates that um music dict- dictates that so for instance you'll you'll get people who get very uh into like the the grunge scene or the or the goth scene or indie music or rap and suddenly that becomes a massive part of who they are and 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 you start hanging out with like-minded people and and people who share that identity and then you that gives you a sense of identity beyond your family and beyond your sort of uh, home and and football's massive for that football's massive for um breaking through all sorts of barriers and as soon as you identify as a fan of a particular club uh you are part of a tribe and there's this, there's this really sort of like manufactured artificial um, thing on social media, especially where it's kind of like, oh, the Manchester United family or the Liverpool family, and it mm. means nothing. Or all, all it, it's just, it's just people who, who essentially want more followers or, or say like follow back or whatever. But it doesn't mean anything. But in in real life, in in interacting with people in your community. You do, as, as as sort of saccharine and sort of uh, cheesy as it sounds, you do start to feel as if like these are this is another family, and and um, and again, the great thing about football is if you've got that one thing in common with a group of people, then that's all that matters. So you can be lots of other things, but essentially they don't care because as long as you're a red or a blue or a Celtic fan or a Newcastle fan they are accepting you as one of them. And that is massively appealing as, as, as a kid who just, just, just through the circumstance of, of being um, from a diaspora sort of community and uh, being a different colour and having a different faith. It was amazing to have this thing where you are part of something and, and you are accepted wholly and fully by people who you'd, maybe never interact with in any other situation. Like I've got, I've got lifelong mates that I've made through football who 
if you saw us walking down the street, you'd be like, what are those people doing together? They, they, they've right. got no right to sort of be mates because like, I've got mates with like ear, like ears missing, like broken noses, sort of like people, who, people of various different ages, um, people who, who, were in, who were involved in like the, the hooligan scene in the eighties. And, and yet we all get on and as different and varied as our lives might be, is this one thing that brings us together? Uh, Naz, it's it's interesting following through your life and your formative years as a Manchester United supporter to read so, like some of the key fixtures that come up in the book, and like everyone is kind of force fed or not force fed, maybe that's too strong, but they're told that you know if he didn't win the if Fergie didn't win the cup in ninety, if that if that didn't happen, nothing else would have would have happened. He would have been gone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I never felt that way back at the time. At the time, it was Rotterdam in 91. That was the key moment where you thought, oh, this lot are, they're at it. Uh, that features in the book for you. It does. And 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 again, um, when you, and again, like like when I was writing the book, um, what I didn't want to do was to essentially make it a history of Manchester United during that period. No, I know. Because there's, there's loads of, there's loads of really great books about that, uh, loads and loads, and and they go into they're really well researched and they go into loads of detail. And if you want to know about that, you can go elsewhere. Uh, me, me doing a a worse version of that would have been pointless and and extremely dull. So, so all you can do is go off your emotions and how you felt and and the moments that matter to you the most when you're writing a writing this sort of thing and. Uh, and to me, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup is in, in the book. The Cup Winners' Cup is probably the the the, the sort of win, along with the first league title um, of, of a trophy or a title that uh, that meant the most, just in terms of how it felt at the time, and, uh, and especially like in the context of the time, um, it was just as English teams were allowed back in Europe after Heisel and the and the ban that came from that. And uh, the first two teams allowed back in was Villa in the European Cup because I think Liverpool needed to serve an extra year um, yes. because of, because of the their history with Heisel and um, and so yeah Villa got through to the European Cup and Manchester United uh, were put into the Cup Winners Cup and it was so it was so uh, alien to be playing these teams because at that at that age I'd not even considered playing European football like like because. Because it'd been a few years of me just watching United in domestic uh, games, um, I I just didn't consider the idea of, of of going to play these 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 foreign teams for like this continental sort of uh, competition. So it was it was so exciting, it was so um, fascinating to find out about all these teams like Peshki Munkas and. <laughs> And uh, Montpellier, that, I, that even at that time, like uh, I was, I was just vaguely aware of, um, and and just these, and they these, were on free TV. They were on ITV. I remember watching exactly. the, the Legia Warsaw game, and I'm like, it's yeah. on. This is free. It's amazing. I know it was, it, it, it was, it was so, it was so great uh, to be able to sort of follow it all um, for free. But also, it's it's that thing of, um, I, I mean. When I talk about football in general, but especially in the book, what, what I am kind of loath to do is be that old man shouting at a clown, saying yeah. like oh, it was it was it was all better in our day and it's rubbish now. But there are certain things that are better now, and there's, there's certain things that were better then. And 
and even even the saturation of sort of information that we're fed around football now, where there can be a player that that your club is linked to in Ecuador or or Japan or anywhere, and instantly you've got all the information about them. You can you can check their sort of YouTube reel. You can get experts that are writing about them in in various publications, and and you immediately know everything about them. Whereas at that time, because because there was so few outlets for that, and and and, and so few uh, channels and publications to get that information, uh, it meant you knew it meant you knew less. So that's that's not ideal in a way, but in another way, it was just uh, it was just so exciting to discover these players and and everything like, was a bit exotic, like it, well, it, it, exactly like like for Mon- like Montpellier had um, Carlos Valderrama and. Obviously, like he'd featured in the in the 1990 World Cup, but it was still this player, this flamboyant flamboyant player with this this amazing hair, and you didn't know that much about him, and you were just excited to see him play. And it's that kind of thing that was it was such a a novel thing, but also the the time at which it happened meant everything was new and uh, and exciting. And so, so yeah, that 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 Cup Winners Cup wasn't the most um, uh, important uh, trophy no. uh, of, of of that period, but uh, to me, it's it's one it's one that I hold most dear. You make some very interesting points about Eric Cantona and Morrissey. Let me begin with Morrissey. Um, so Morrissey, just like you're too young for 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 the real like to be been going to the gigs in the mid eighties. You were only a yeah. kid. It was that was never going to happen. But Morrissey still meant something to to someone growing up in Manchester in the early 90s. Yeah, completely and um and and again like um whatever you think of Morrissey and 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 the and the Smiths um I think they've always had that um power to um to connect with people of various generations. So the funny thing is that now um, one thing you'd never envisage at that time, where where it was seen as like a very dour sort of like a northern kitchen sink Manchester band, yeah. is, is is they've got a massive following in places like LA and like a, a massive uh, 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 Latino sort of fan base as well. <laughs> yeah, usually. So um, it's just it's it's all it's it's it's, it's fascinating the way not not just not just um, the Smiths and Morrissey, but like the way the music can to- can be discovered again and ag- again. Like I find that fascinating. But um, to me, I did discover it after the event, and like a lot of people, um, what what attracted attracted me attracted me to the Smiths and, and Morrissey, and was was obviously there was a connection with with Manchester, and and you can't avoid Manchester music uh, if you're from here. Um, but um, to me, it just felt like more than any other music that I'd experienced, um, how um, personal it felt to me. And and I know this is uh, very much a stereotype, but like it spoke to me um, yeah. growing up. And um, and I found I found Morrissey's uh, lyrics so uh, uh, so filled with humanity and humor and uh, and um, a self deprecating uh, sort of wit and and again like. Uh, all those things that I loved about him then, um, kind of uh, got lost, got lost somewhere along the way, and and what I think of him now oh, yeah. is, is 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 the very opposite of what I loved about him then. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a shame the trajectory it takes, but um, you know, like I I got into him first in his solo stuff, so I like I went backwards. So I heard every day is like Sunday, and the lyrics just blew me away. And I was I I went backwards then into the Smiths and was surprised how many songs I knew by the Smiths. But yeah, it's it's a shame. Kind of, I mean, his politics have taken him in a certain direction, and it's um it's kind of hard to listen to him now. It, it is, it is, but but the, but the thing, and, and and again, like the thing is that I would love to say that because because a lot of people use the the Smiths sort of Johnny Marr uh, um, sort of the reasoning where they say you oh I I still love the Smiths because of Johnny Marr and how cool he still is yes but but, but I'm not interested in Morrissey's solo stuff and and in a way I would love to say that but I can't because hmm. to this day some of the songs that I I hold most dear. Uh, a lot of his solo work. Um, yeah, it's just, some of his songs are so beautiful, and and again, one thing that, as well as all the humanity and emotion and um, poetry of his work, I think something that gets long lost along the way is is the humor. Like I've never I've never felt that that uh, the Smith music or Morrissey in particular were particularly depressing. That's the, that's the reputation. No. I found it a lot of it tongue in cheek and funny and. But if and, I. Uh, if- if I'm cleaning uh, or around the house, I'll put on Dagenham Dave, and it it, it just makes me happy. Yeah, but again, like it, it's that it's that thing of like, to what extent are you are you um uh willing to separate the art from the artist? And yeah, and and the way I feel about that is is it's not a it's not a cerebral decision. It's not like like you can make you can make a logical argument either way, but. When you're alone with your earphones and your Spotify playlist, like only you know what you're listening to, and and you, only you know what still moves you. So you, it's it's an it's an emotive thing that you can't control. So if you still love the music, you still love the music, and and you might dislike the person now, or you might dislike the person retrospectively. But the, I know this feels like a cop out, but it's almost like once somebody creates some art. It's no longer theirs. It's yours. It's the That's consumer. The, that was the, that was David Bowie's view. He said, "Once I put yeah. something out there, it's no longer mine, and people will add their own information to it, and it's theirs." That's and, it, and 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 that's that's how I feel about uh, art in general, but Morrissey in particular. So, so, so the, 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 there will be some people who I detest them so much as people that it does color my feeling of of like being able to consume what they what they created and, and therefore I can't, I can no longer watch their films or I can no longer listen to their music, but it's not, but again, even with those situations, it's never a logical decision. It's always an emotive uh, personal decision. Well, it's not even a decision. It's just an, an, an emotion that make that, that makes it impossible for me to enjoy that thing anymore. Uh, Nas, you won't have any problem uh, holding on to your love in all aspects of Eric Cantona. I, su- I suspect that's going to be just fine. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and 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 again, like uh, as as I mentioned in the book, to me, at that age, they were they were they were my two main heroes, um, uh, Morrissey and, and and Eric Cantona, and, and at the time, they felt pretty similar in that they they were two uh, very individualistic personalities, didn't care what anyone thought, were just being themselves. They were witty, they were different, they were artistic. Um, they they had a level of humanity and humor to them um, that I really enjoyed, and um, they had a magnetism and charisma. Um, and again, like 
you can say what you like about Morris. You can say what you, what you like about various people that are that are different levels of good or bad. But but some people just have charisma and some people don't. And uh, for me, Cantona and Morrissey both had it in spades. Um, one one point you did make is, and I think it's an important point, is that the the aura around Eric Cantona kind of seems to to overshadow the fact he was a bloody great footballer. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think. Um, and again, like like, like this, going back to people being obsessed with statistics, um, there's there's all sorts of um, people that will argue, well, oh, how can he be considered a great because he's got X amount of goals compared to this other player who's got this many goals, so he's not as good as that player. And that negates um, the influence that he had on the team, the influence that he had on particular, particular vital games, um, and the influence, the, the influence he had on a mindset of like making everyone around him believe that something is possible, and the amount of you, you talk about, if even if you strip away all the mythology and um, legend around him, the amount of winning goals he got, the amount of the amount of the amount of games that were that were just petering out into draws, um, or or, or United were losing, and he would come up with the vital goal, the vital moment, and it would it would change the. I've been the whole on the dynamic end of, of everything. That's the thing, and, and and he was he was he was a big, strong lad. He could handle himself physically. He was he had that obviously he had that devilment where he he'd go into footed at, at times. Um, he was he was he, so, so he was strong, incredibly skillful. Um, had a beautiful touch and beautiful vision. And also one thing that I think has been totally forgotten about him is he had a he he, he had a surprising turn of pace uh, in that. Once he got behind uh, a defense um, through both a level of pace and strength, he, he couldn't be stopped. And no. he, 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 by no means was he was he um, sort of incredibly fast. But uh, and that wasn't his main attribute. But he he had a pace to him. And and again, he always had that surety and calmness to to take his chances. And and in 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 one sense, he was he was a very traditional sense forward in that he would he would finish those chances um regularly but also he had that magic that that separated him out and continues to separate him out to this day yeah he did he did have that the 96 cup final will it'll never leave me because that is a more awkward difficult to execute volley than people give him credit for and it was um it was an absolutely stunning goal. Nas, final question for you. I'm just, I'm always curious about people our age who who still um still have their faith. Like I I lost mine a while ago. Uh, grew up Catholic, but it, I I don't practice anymore, and it's not it's not there for me. Like what what does it mean to you day to day, and and how does it help you? I mean, it mean it means everything to me. Um, I am. I am extremely proud to say I'm I'm Muslim, and I and I. And Islam dictates every aspect of my life. Um, and and again, like I hope one thing that comes out of the book is that it's all intertwined. It's not a case of, of I am going to football here, or I'm passionate about football, or I'm, pa- I'm passionate about music, or I'm passionate about this aspect aspect of my life. And then there's there's religion. Religion, you either believe or you don't. So yeah. that means that that means that you can, if you believe, and again. I completely appreciate uh, the point of view that 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 um, oh why why are you sort of uh, why are you believe in this this make believe situation why are you, it's a fairy tale and you're falling for it and it's 
and it's uh, it's all nonsense. But but I I can I can I can absolutely appreciate that point of view. But it's not it's not how I see life. And and so in terms like when I pray, whether it's whether it's whether it's the five times a day or just praying in my head or mm. or, or or anywhere, um, I am I am I will pray for the big things and the big normal noble things like world peace and anyone who's going through any hardship, please make it easy for them. Please, please keep my family safe and and happy and comfortable and successful. But then I will also pray for for the most petty of things. I will pray that Christian Eriksen comes back from injury. I will pray that United score a goal. I will pray that um, that Jude Bellingham comes to United. Like, no. like it's you, well, you, you either <laughs> you, you 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 either you either believe fully or you don't. And 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 I do. And and again, like um, an important thing for me in writing this book was to show that and again like it's not just muslims but it's i think any person who's got a faith um there's certain stereotypes of like they're overly serious they can't have fun they um they are sort of almost in a way separated from normal life because they are there's part of them that's almost monkish in their beliefs mm. um for me I-, I want to show that i'm a muslim but i am no different from anyone who who has got other fa- other faiths or other religions on or, or no religion at all? Um, I will I will some some of my, some of my best friends um, haven't got a religion or have got a different religion, and they do things that are so kind and so generous and beautiful and 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 have got so much humanity to them that I think in that respect they are a better Muslim than me because. Because I, I I would aspire to be that kind and and th- that good a person. So I that's Islam is what I subscribe to. But um, I'm I think I think when it comes down to it, uh, we're all we're all so similar. Um, and there are certain things that bring people together and and showcase that that's those similarities. And, and football is one of those special things book is inshallah united a story of faith and football naz thanks so much for for talking to us thank you thank you for having me on i've, I've, I've enjoyed it yep so that was my conversation there with naz andrew uh, interesting thing for me is we always talk with amazement and wonderment when we meet maybe not so much these days but certainly in the past uh people from different parts of america who suddenly got into soccer mm-hmm. imagine your parents are immigrants who have no background in the culture that you've just uh that you've been born into and and how you come just obsessed with with Manchester United and with football, and uh, and how close he was to becoming a Manchester City fan too. I mean, it's very it's very relatable. Yeah. I have there is no when I say there is no soccer in my my family heritage. Like I mean none, zero, absolutely nothing. And that's the case for almost all of my friends who love this sport as well. So I think it's I do think it's relatable. And also how his faith is kind of still important to him i mean he's more or less the same age as us and i would say i am at best a lapsed catholic and you are a part-time jew so um can we rename the podcast what uh, uh what'd you say we should just what's scrap lapsed caught ca- offside a lapsed catholic and a part-time jew <laughs> we just call it that yeah um so so yeah i just i just found it very interesting that someone hangs on to it and it means so much to them and the book is is unbelievably funny and um yeah uh nostalgic too that's awesome very cool i should mention too with manchester united they're um they're running the europa league 
their game, I at least want to say the game that the other day when they, they threw away a two goal lead of their own. Now I know there was a little, you know, to be on Twitter as that was happening, there was a little bit of United just letting their guard down. They've allowed them right back into it. You know, Mm. can we sometimes, can we sometimes differentiate between the way that leads are lost and look at that and say, yeah, it's about the worst effing luck I've ever seen. Like two absurd own goals off of ridiculous deflections. Like, I don't know. Maybe I again, I have a simple football brain, but like you part do. of me, part of me watches that. And I'm just like, no, they're not like, yeah, OK, like they're giving up some chances, I guess. But these are like these are flukes. This is ridiculous. Like yeah. the Harry Maguire own goal <laughs> was one of the most ridiculous goals I've seen this season. Like in the face, it doesn't. It doesn't always mean that like one team is do are bad. Like they're letting their guard down. They've allowed the, like sometimes s happens in this sport, and that to me I charted in the s happens category. Partly, but I, I, there was a sense from certainly from the commentary as well that yes, these are two freaky goals, but that they'd let Sevilla more and more into the game when probably United should have closed out at that point. And now we've got essentially a cup final. I mean, Sevilla are literally their, their, um, what is it? uh, What's that French word, Andrew, when it's someone who just like kind of follows you around? It's something that's haunted you in your life. Um, Hmm. Oh, Bet Noir. Bet Noir, that's it. Um, Sevilla are there, Bet Noir, uh, from from Europa League, uh, your Champions League football, uh, general European football. They've had United's number, and now, and now when United thought they had the advantage, they have to go and play in this like febrile, furious atmosphere in Seville and try and um, try and get back the advantage. That's going to be a cracker. Sevilla, Absolute cracker. They're, they're everyone's Bet Noir in this competition. I mean, that's, how a, fair, many, that's a fair point. <laughs> like they've they've won it what four times in the last ten years? Like, yeah, <laughs> Europa specialist. Yeah, or is, is it five? Yeah, four. I think four in the last ten. Uh, but if you want to go further back, it'd be six in the last fifteen. Uh, I'm trying to do math off the top of my head. Whatever it is, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like a weird competition to have like to, to own, but they do. <laughs> it's really amazing. Um, also amazing this past weekend in MLS, uh, actually I'll get to that in a sec. One note before we get oh. to MLS, let's a, a nice transition, something that happened in England, but involves an American feels like a smooth transition, JJ, especially when you talk about transitions that makes them <laughs> even smoother. Um, but sadly, this is not a good thing. Daryl DK, Ugh. um, he, for West Brom appeared to have suffered an Achilles injury. Um, at least that's what the manager said afterwards. Don't know exactly the extent of it, but it look, I mean, We've seen these things happen before. I think we all know that the news is not going to be good here. Um, terrible, terrible. And it would you assume now this rules him out for a busy summer for the U.S., um, a chance for him to, you know, in the form that he's been in, seven goals in 23 games for West Brom, uh, a chance to maybe carve out a place for himself at the striker position for the U.S. men. Uh, but now that that will not that will not be the case. Now, he did post on Instagram. I saw he posted a picture um, of his foot in a cast with the caption, no, he could not do it on a rainy night in Stoke. I uh, give him credit because uh, it was in Stoke City. Um, yeah. I give him credit for a, a 10 out of 10 on the self-deprecating humor scale. Um, so I guess at least hopefully his mind is right because I know how just like mentally debilitating these moments can be for athletes. Yes. But um, so our thoughts go out to him. That sucks. 
for him most of all. Obviously, American fans and the U.S. team will be bummed about it, but it, it's for a, a guy who's 22 years old, who's playing good football, who's looking forward to an important summer with his national team, and now in one blink of an eye, that's uh, taken away. So, bummer. Nothing. There's no silver lining here. I'm just uh, there is not bummed about it. Very bummed. Um, so hope he gets hope he gets well soon. Gets back at it soon. Look, if Miles Robinson is any uh, example to go by, then guys can come back from this, especially when they're young, work their way back into their national team, and still be great players. So um, all the best, man. Daryl DK. That sucks. Uh, a couple other MLS notes, JJ. We talked last week about the Dante Van Zier situation, and mm. we kind of ended the podcast by speculating about, okay, well, what's what's this going to be? What is the appropriate punishment for something like this? And I mentioned 10 games, and I felt like that, I, like I was almost being a little soft. Um, then we came to find out the punishment was going to be six games. And the response I- to that was um, nothing short of of rage from around the league and more specifically within the Red Bulls support itself. Well, the South, the supporters groups in the South ward, uh, basically did a protest on Saturday night, um, where they turned up for the singing of the national anthem. And then they left immediately afterwards in, in protest at, at the leniency of what the league and, and the Red Bulls came up with in terms of a, of a fine for Van Zier. And again, I, I, I think they needed to be much, much stronger. They weren't, and now they're going to um, now they're going to. I, I think they'll continue to hear uh, from supporters groups about this, and um, but I think they're going to. I think the policy will be to try and and write it out. I um, I don't think they're going to do an about face on on the ban. I don't think they're going to extend the ban. Um, but it felt very lenient to me, very lenient, and. Um, and yeah, it, that was that was my thought as well. We we not to go over the ground we went over on the podcast last week, but if if this is what zero tolerance looks like, right, then it's zero is not good no, enough. It's just not like that's no. not zero tolerance. No, it's not. Um, so I don't know if in MLS offices they thought that was making some kind of statement, but it it is not. That does not make. I mean, it, it makes a statement, but it's. I don't think it's the one they're trying to make. Um, that was that was disappointing to me. Um, and a lot of people as well. So, yeah, just we'll see. How, we'll see what right. happens if 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 there's continued pushback around the league from supporters. Um, maybe maybe this thing has a chance of 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 escalating where the league are forced to take more action or more punitive action. But I don't see it. Yeah, uh, on the field, a couple games that we wanted to mention. Um, one of the eye popping results: FC Cincinnati had been playing so well this season, um, but. So have St. Louis City at 5-1. St. Louis just absolutely takes them apart. It felt over somewhat quickly, scoring in the third minute. Um, just another uh, another really fun night for this club after having to endure a weather delay in the build-up to it. Uh, but St. Louis are now ahead of LAFC currently um, by top one point. Top of the West. Uh, this knocked Cincinnati uh, out of the top of the East. So it was a pretty high-profile matchup. Um, and once again, uh, St. Louis, one of these expansion clubs that have, have found a way to hit the ground running. Uh, and this was, of all, they've had a lot of great days already in their early history, but this this was uh, maybe the greatest greatest one yet, other than, I guess, that first game at home. No, I think it, it's up there. And, and the big question now is with the way they play, with the high-energy style that they play, can they 
can they manage to keep this pelt going? It's going to be it's going to be challenging. Um, El Trafico, LAFC, they take the first edition of this year's El Trafico. Um, 3-2, fun game, as so many of these are. Uh, it was their first time winning at uh, at LA Galaxy. They had a great fan turnout there, um, as you would expect. It's just enthusiasm around this LAFC team is at an all-time high right now. They're flying in the league. They're defending champs. They're in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League. It's just it's a good time to be a supporter of that club. Carlos Vela with a gorgeous goal. Um to get the scoring started one note that i thought was interesting this is just the way my mind works but the uh the marky delgado goal at the end for the galaxy to pull this to a 3-2 uh deficit jj i don't know if you thought this too but when i watched the replay and i I saw the way it happened all i could think of was if aaron long did that wearing a u.s men's national team jersey the way that was defended I, i think i think twitter would break Oh, it would I think collapse it, in I on think, itself. I think it would explode. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah. It, it was funny with the Vela goal, the Carlos Vela goal. If, I felt like I'd seen that a million times from him coming in and just curling it into the. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, it was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And um, another great goal in this game, too. Tyler Boyd. Uh, no. Bad goalkeeping? Yeah, you watch it again. Goalkeeper's got too many hands, too much of both hands on that to not turn it around the post. It's a good. It's a good strike. I mean, I, I hate criticizing Boyd because he, he. It's a good strike, but the keeper's got to do better. Um, and the Galaxy defense generally, like Koulibaly, just overall, just terrible, terrible decision making, and like just, just bad. And it's pretty bleak. And it feels as if as if there's like one team in LA right now. It does. And who would have ever thought that with the history of this Galaxy club? Um, and, and we know we some of the, the fan protests that have gone on around ownership. Um, so they hate Chris Klein. They just do the team president. Um, and he's recently come back from suspension and the fans want him gone. I think they're making banners. Did I see that somebody flew a plane? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember to keep it all straight, but uh, he has now reportedly come out and said that if they miss the playoffs, he will step down. Which yeah. feels I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, just imagine the alternative of him staying on at that point. But it just feels, I don't know, the trajectory of of this club right now. And it's so the wrong time for it to be happening, where, like we said, the other team in that town, LAFC, have never have never had a better moment than this. Um, it's And that doesn't appear to be changing anytime soon. No. So it's, yeah, rough, a rough period of time right now for the Galaxy. Um, and then finally, J.J., Cascadia Derby, Portland Timbers win a memorable one over Seattle. Thanks to four goals in the final 20 minutes of this game. Mm. Uh, four straight wins for Portland in this series. Brian Schmetzer was pissed afterwards, said his team's got to get back to understanding that this is a rivalry. Um, but some of the goals scored with, uh, with Portland trailing. So the, the first goal to get it started, Daron Espria. Amazing. Sensational. Superb, uh, as well an executed bicycle kick as you're going to see. Um, it's going to be a goal of the season contender. It's, it, it it just is. Um, but then the next two goals were all Stefan Fry's fault. Yeah. Uh, the f- the especially the, the third, the third in particular, but the second one, it, it felt like his left hand was glued to the side of his body and he couldn't kind of react, and it hits a bit off his chest and goes in. And the third, I mean, do anything other than that. Just catch the ball, man. Yeah. Just catch it. Like, 
I don't know. I feel bad. Like he's being so good. Who am I to be giving advice to like a great goalkeeper? Like, but like I don't know. You just did it though. Just catch the ball. Hmm. Um, It's a big win for Portland because things were looking a bit shaky there. Um, And like as um, as Taylor Twelman said in the commentary, it's a chance for um, it's a chance for them to kind of build on that and go forward, turn the season around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um, and you could see. I mean, Gio Savarisi was like to the moon. Oh yeah, um, and and it, especially at home in front of those fans, the way they that rivalry. Um, now, uh, I don't know if many of our listeners will have seen the first half of this game because uh, Apple, as World Soccer Talk reports, uh, Apple TV suffered a major outage on Saturday night that prevented customers from watching programming on Apple devices. In particular, the Apple TV outage resulted in MLS season pass being down for approximately two hours oh, on a big night for MLS fans. So that was the Portland Timbers Seattle Sounders game and the San Jose against Kansas City game. Um, they go on to say with Apple streaming 100% of MLS games for the next 10 years and reports of slow adoption of MLS season pass, MLS and Apple don't need embarrassing tech issues getting in the way of fans watching games. This is the worst thing for me, though. Uh, no communication with sub- sub- subscribers is unacceptable. So when Apple has a major outage like this, it's imperative that the league and Apple communicate with MLS season pass subscribers to let them know what's going on. However, both MLS and Apple were silent on the issue. Neither of them communicated the issue on their websites nor social media channels. As a result, viewers were completely in the dark. That so feeling the- is so infuriating. It's when the worst. When you just worst. can't figure out what's going on and no one, like, because you think it's something on your end. Like you're turning, you're turning your internet off. You're rebooting your system. Meanwhile, Seattle and Portland are playing. Like if you're a, if you're a Sounders fan who's sitting down, that's what you planned on. Like this is my day. I'm watching this game. I can't wait. Um, and like this is, and you're not being told that it's a system wide outage. How long is it going to come back? Like we all know that feeling. It's it's maddening. It is extremely frustrating. And I think uh, yeah. as well, what should be noted is that uh, I think like the early reports about slow uptake in the MLS season pass, et cetera, uh, worrying uptake. Fine. The summer is going to be the litmus test. When the big leagues are over, when the summer is open for MLS, um, this kind of thing can't happen because that's their moment to kind of take over the soccer space if they can. Yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a good look, not a good optic as they say. No, Um, it's not what you want. I believe is the phrase. Not what you want. Not what you want. Joe Girardi would tell you. Right, Andrew, I have to go and assemble a sofa. Oh, have fun. Yeah. Have fun. Love that. I love the challenge of Swedish furniture. Um, Yeah, but it's a good, but it's like an attainable task, you know? Like, you'll build it. You'll get it done. It'll be great. Yeah, and you'll, you know, it'll look good. And uh, I I think I, I get points on my man card for it, right? Do you? For assembling IKEA furniture? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. I'll give you. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm not giving points for that, then what chance do I stand? I mean, you're you're mad. I, I was out weeding my lawn all weekend. I actually Big points got a uh, a weed whacker, um, and I've been using it. So uh, I am also a man, JJ. <laughs> and that is not a euphemism for anything, folks. <laughs> oh no, no, literally, literally, I have one, and I'm using it to weed my lawn. Um, I'm off to Philadelphia now, getting on a train headed south, and I'm going to Sixers Nets tonight, game two. Oh, you love it! That you was absolutely a massive. That was a beatdown the other night. 
It was, was bad. Very, very bad. Yeah. And uh, I saw afterward Jacques Vaughn was complaining about the officiating. I mean, dude, I, when I see that, I, I'm sure you can relate to this in soccer. Like when a team gets blasted and they know they're going to play again, like if it was the first leg of like a Champions League quarterfinal or something, like to me, it's not even about the officiating. It, it's when I read his quotes, I was like, okay, you, this, you are desperate and you, you know, we can't beat this team. The only way I can do it is if somehow the referees are on our side at all times. So I'm do I'm pulling out all the stops now because talent for talent we can't win this. Like that's that's what I didn't read it and I was like yeah that officiating was bad. No, it was fine. It was normal. That's a that is a desperate man. Is I what thought I it was. Saw. I thought it was interesting as well. And I know like, the games are on different nights, but I I saw much more uh, Nick's gear in and around the borough. Oh yeah, around, around the city than Nets. Well, you say of course, but I I do AJ, think the, what would you say the percentages are. In the five boroughs of man uh, of New York City between Knicks and Nets, eighty twenty ninety five five, maybe even more. It might be ninety seven three. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Come on, I don't know. It's just the Barclays is right beside me, so I kind of want them to be a thing. Yeah, I get it. You I know? understand. And I enjoyed like I the games I've been to, I've really enjoyed. But but like he's asking, he's like, maybe we can get some three second violations called. What? All right, yeah, let's start doing that all the time. How, let's see how that works for your team too. Everyone commits three second violations on every play. You want that uh, called the whole game? Yeah, let's do that. I That's can't fun wait. Basketball as that train trundles slowly closer to Philadelphia, you start getting. Is there a Philly accent? By the way, would you say? Uh, yeah, people from Delco probably have like a. How would I do it? Home. Uh, water. Um, right. So there is a Philly accent. I feel yeah, like yeah. You, you're going to be like um, slowly morphing. Yeah, slowly but surely. You know, turning. Give into... me some water. Uh, what else would one? You see, you grew you grew up in the salubrious Serbs, so, uh, suburbs. Delco so you... is a suburb. Yeah. Hmm. Delaware is there, no, is there no like inner city Philly? Yeah, I mean, South Philly, Delco, they kind of like all, in Dublin. Like, it's like, same. come here, Andrew. How's it going, pal? You all right, story, but what the hell is that? Yeah, I know that's an inner city Dublin accent that I've given you there. <laughs> if you listen to Fontaine's DC when they sing, he sings in that kind of. Okay. Well, it sounds much better than I did that, but that would be, that would be the thing there. So I'm just wondering, is there like, and I know there's a Brooklyn accent. Our our friend Fitz has it in spades. Oh, Lordy. It's sad um, to sit here and watch us try to imitate accents from our own regions. Although you're not from Dublin, but still. I'm not from Dublin. <laughs> still. How dare you. Yeah. Uh, hey, well, this was fun. I enjoyed this immensely. Um, feel free, as always, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, all those things. They all help. They're all important. Let's get that. Let's get the reviews on, on Apple up to a thousand. Let's get it right up there. You're doing great work on Spotify, guys. But uh, get them up there on Apple. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you midweek. We have a huge midweek set of Champions League fixtures. We'll know the semifinals by Wednesday afternoon, and we'll have a podcast for you talking all about it. JJ, this was fun, my friend. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 